Father, we come before you. We thank you the opportunity we have to be in your house this morning to worship with your people. Father, we come to the word and Father, we thank you that you have always have something to say to us, to speak to us, to encourage us, to challenge us. And Father, we know as we continue on with this broken series, Lord, that we know that you are doing a work in people's lives. The Father's people are challenged and you are healing people, Father God, and, and you, you are using people. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. We just pray now for this word this morning, Lord, that it would be the words of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that would speak today, Father God. Father, would connect with hearts in here, Father God. We would indeed go out and change people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Continuing on with the broken series this morning, um, we'll take a look at Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 is the psalm of forgiveness that David writes. Um, the One of the wonderful things about the characters in the Bible is that though they get some things right, they get a lot of things wrong and often we relate to people much better in their failure and their mistakes and in this incident their, their sin, their transgression against God and something uh, happens to help us um, this morning in our journey with God as we continue to look uh, at, at what it means to be broken and this is really broken before God the, this morning. You know, guilt is an awful thing to live with. We would all probably agree with that. We often will do anything to avoid dealing with the guilt from something that has happened in our life. It can haunt us for years. I'll throw this out at the beginning this morning to help us understand that there, there are many born-again, spirit-filled, Bible-believing Christians who attend church uh, twice on a Sunday and in the midweeks and serve in the church who struggle with guilt, who deal with stuff that has happened since they've been a Christian and have to work through stuff in their life, as we all do. Uh, because one of the things we've said in our church is that we're all on a journey and the baggage that we bring along on that journey is, is different. And we're all at different points in, in that journey. And often we don't deal with the guilt. It can haunt us for years and we would do anything, uh, me included, in all of this as I prepared this. It says it can haunt us for years sometimes and when we come to Psalm 51, Psalm 51 is what I would describe as broken before God because it is, uh, we're going to come to the context of it after we read the Psalm and just talk about well, what, why David wrote this. But this is David really coming clean before God. He's coming clean before God that a Christian life just can't be uh, and it would be much easier if it was just inspiring sermons, if it was just sermons that encouraged everybody and left people joyful and stuff. And they, you have to have some of that because we don't want Christianity to be miserable either. Uh, but we do have to come to a point sometimes of relating what the Bible teaches to the point that God wants to do a work in your life and my life. And, and part of that comes through the teaching and the preaching that we do and that God speaks to us and God, God is on the move this morning we, we recognise that through the worship and through uh, the table God is speaking to us a particular way this morning and I pray that continues through the word and so we're going to read Psalm 51 and it says this 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold with a willing uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. When you read the Psalms, um, a lot of the Psalms have a historical context point to them. There's a story behind the Psalms. There is no more story clearer um, behind why David wrote the words that he wrote here because this has to do with David's sin with Bathsheba. And uh, David has been caught out here. He's been caught. God has sent his prophet Nathan to speak to David and he has confronted David over the sin that he has committed and the background to the story is this just quickly as we go and I'm just going to read from 2 Samuel 11 2 5 it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful and David sent and inquired about the woman and one said is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Uh, so this is the background to the story here. The, what it doesn't tell us is this. David was a warrior king. He was supposed to be out fighting with the armies. Uh, in this particular occasion, at uh, the start of this season, just before this, it tells us that David decided to stay at home. He sent out his armies to fight. Obviously, the problem is then is he didn't have anything to do. So what he did was probably what most of us do when there's nothing to do is he lay in bed all morning. He got up late for his breakfast, so then he just had a wee wander around to see uh, what he could do that day. He was already in a dangerous place. 
Um, the problem here, as we see in this story, is he happened to take himself onto the rooftop and he noticed that there was a woman bathing on a rooftop. Now, I think we can get out of the way that there are no, nobody in here bathes on a rooftop anymore in full sight of everybody to see. But Bathsheba did this and it caught David's eye. And the minute it caught, the second it caught David's eye and preached on this before, David's problem was this, his eyes lingered far longer than they should have. His eyes lingered far longer than they should have. It lingered long enough for him to have that desire in his heart for this woman that was bathing on this roof. So he did what a king could do because he could do it, because he had all the power that he sent someone to find out who she is and, and to bring her over to him. Uh, and so therefore she came over to him, they slept together, she ended up pregnant, problem is she's married to somebody else, and so therefore uh, she sends word to David to say, I'm pregnant, but it's not my husband's baby because he's off fighting your war. What David does then is this, he, he does this because he, he's already sinned. Uh, when people already sin, they, they, what they want to do is to make sure they're not found out, is they, they try and cover up their sin. And this, that's what David did. So David tried to call Uriah back from battle and, and say, look, why don't you go home to your wife tonight? And, you know, he set the table for two and the candles and the meal. And David's got it all planned. That's going to be a romantic night. Uriah being a man of integrity because uh, all his soldiers are fighting out in the battle decides he's not going to do that. He's going to sleep on the, the doorsteps of the palace because it's not fair that he goes home, has a kiss and a cuddle with his wife while all his soldiers are fighting out in the fields. So this wrecks David's plans again because he thinks to himself, I've committed a sin, I've tried to cover it up once and now what I need to do is I need to do something because this is catastrophic if anybody finds out what I've done. So he comes up with this plan and he decides that what he's going to do, he's going to take Uriah, the soldier, and he's going to stick him right at the front of the battle. And then he's going to tell all the other soldiers uh, to retreat. And that's what happened. Of course, Uriah is then killed. He's murdered. And David is responsible uh, for that murder. And David thinks he's got away with it. Often in our lives, we think so many times we get away with the things that we do wrong. And, and so David thought he got away with it. The end of 2 Samuel 11, it ends with these words that the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So further down the line, David, uh, God sent the prophet Nathan to David and he tells him this parable. He says, there is a man that has everything. He has a, a, a huge, a massive amount. And there's another man who has one small thing. The man who has everything takes a one small thing off the man who has nothing. And David is incensed at this because it's like, it's so unfair. It's so, you know, and Nathan points out, you're that man. You took what didn't belong to you. You took what wasn't yours. And even when you did that, you covered up your sin not once, but twice. And Nathan is the messenger of God. And so David breaks down. This is, this is a broken man. It's not because he has made a mistake. Let's clear it out as it is. Let, let's say it for what it is. He's sinned against God. He's transgressed against God. This is not a mistake he's made. It's not something he slipped up and done. You know, it's not something he tried and he failed and he got some encouragement. David sinned and tried to cover up his sin. 
And so he comes to this, and you know, not, not only that, it, it, it broken five of the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't desire what somebody else has. And we see David in this most honest of Psalms, because it is, because it's one that brings us all to the point that we may not have done what David had done. We may not have murdered and we may not have uh, committed adultery. We may not have stolen what belongs to somebody else. But there is a reality that every single one of us has come at one point broken in our sin and our transgression before God. And David writes this psalm with these, this in mind. It's what David felt and thought as he lay hold of God's mercy and he comes before God broken. And often there are times in our lives and as Christians, as believers, you and me, we are so good at hiding the stuff. We are so good at hiding the stuff away from people. But there are issues and things that God wants to deal with in our life. And I thank God that he deals with the stuff in my life because I would make a complete mess of it. And so we see that as David transgresses against God, we must, like David, come before God with that broken spirit, that broken heart, that contrite heart to simply say, God, no, God, I've, I've made a mistake. We include that. God, I've failed and I've been weak. We've sinned against God. God, we are sorry. And we must make sure that the message that we preach, because it devalues the cross of Jesus Christ, if we don't accept at times that we have sinned, we own up to our mistakes and we take ownership of our mistakes. Our transgressions where we cross the line over what we know we should do. And I include myself in this. There are never any easy sermons in this broken series. I would love to come and preach a lovely, encouraging, joyful message to you every Sunday. So as you go out the door, we say, thank you, Pastor, for encouraging me today. The Broken Series hasn't really done that. But what it has done is it's laid open bare the, the things that people are dealing with in their lives. Having to have a brutal honesty about some of the stuff that people are struggling with. Because the reality is when we get saved, we don't get made perfect and so we're having to deal with some of that stuff. But God is dealing with it in our lives. He is helping you and me on the journey that we are on. You know, in this psalm that David wrote, what I love about it, and this is so important for us to understand, God doesn't finish with David. He could have taken the throne off him. Even all the stuff that he'd done, which was horrendous, he could have removed him from the throne. But God didn't do that. God is always in the business of giving second chances. He's always in the business of redeeming people. And we might look at it and say, that's totally unfair. Look what he's done. I've never done anything as bad as he's done. But unfortunately, God measures everything by grace, not by behavior. And so when he measures everything by grace, he looks at us all the same and says, these are the things that we have done that have sinned and transgressed against God. One of the things that helps us is this, is, you know, the death of Christ on the cross does not replace our asking for forgiveness. It is the basis of it. Because Christ has died on the cross does not mean that we live an automatic, oh, I'm forgiven regardless of what I have done. The Bible teaches us clearly if we confess our sins to God, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise that God makes in 1 John 1 verse 9. But he makes that promise because Christ has died on the cross for you and me. It is the basis of our forgiveness. So we can't just simply turn around with, well, I'm forgiven because Christ has done this for me. We come, often people say, confession is good for the soul. Find somebody to talk to. David teaches us in this psalm simply this. Repentance is good for the soul. There's simply sinning, transgressing against God, coming to God as a broken person as David does, helps us to realise the plan of God's mercy that he has for your life and for my life. You see, that I think is so important for us to understand that the death of Christ on the cross does not replace our asking for forgiveness. It's simply the basis and the foundation of it. What, what I encouraged about in this is, to, as, is how David comes broken. How David comes broken. You know, often sometimes, and just to break the mood a little bit here, we talk about a broken heart. Now, if, if you're like me and you, you remember what it was like to be 13, 12 or 13 and, you, you, you know, you, you fancied a girl in school, you know what it's like. Can some of you remember that far back, yes? No? Okay. He says, you know what it was like? He says, you, you, the girl in the school and, and, and that she was the one for you. She was the one you would pretend to catch her eye across the classroom. I hadn't met Athena at this point, so it doesn't count. And you think to yourself, well, maybe we could end up together now. I don't know what they call it, and I'm getting old now, because they call it, when we were young, we used to call it going out with somebody. But I don't think they use that language now. Do they use that language anymore? The young people are looking at me like, no, all right, okay. They said they don't call it that, but that's what we used to call it. So if you liked a girl, or if girls you liked a boy, you would go up to them and you say, would you go out with me? And, you know, that would be the, the phase who you would use. But at that point, that girl that you loved, that you wanted to spend <laughs> the rest of your life with, comes out with the most damaging words any man ever wants to hear. I just want to be friends. <laughs> but no, don't we? Yeah, we know. Never happened to Scott, he said. <laughs> Let me pick on somebody else now. I can. Who's been rejected a lot? Let's see. All right, now, there you go. Gary Lineker's got his hand up. Anyway. And so at that point, he says, we, we relate that to a broken heart, don't we? We relate that to our heart has been broken. It's been, it's been split in two, just as an example. And I'm old enough to remember going home and you would have a cassette tape, for those who don't know what those are. <laughs> we will tell you after. And you would then play something on uh, that would be romantic, that reminds you of lost love. And you would struggle for a couple of days until another girl caught your eye. And then, and so we talk about a broken heart. And, and so, just to lighten the mood a little bit, it brings us back to what David is saying here. In this, and what I love about what David says in here, it's a pattern. It's a pattern, I believe, for the way we come to God broken because he does some things. The first thing he does is this, and I think this is so, so important, and we must not lose sight of this. 
that David acknowledges what he has done. He doesn't call it a mistake. He doesn't call it failure. He doesn't call it a weakness. He doesn't blame the environment he was brought up in. He doesn't say it was mom and dad's fault. He didn't say anything about the education that he had. David simply accepts and acknowledges his responsibility for what he has done. He has been caught out anyway. And it wouldn't be so bad if it was just one thing that he'd done, but he had tried to cover up the sin by, on two occasions by what he did. But he acknowledges what he's done. He asks God and he prays. Now, it's not enough just to say it. It's enough to come before God and say it because Psalm 51, we have to remember, is a statement that David comes and gives as a broken man before God, but it is a prayer as well. It's a prayer. He is praying to God. He is coming before God as a broken man. I have this picture of him on his knees before, the, before say, possibly steps or something the tears are flowing down his face because he has come to a realisation of what he has done. He thought he could get away with it. He hasn't got away with it. The result is this, a broken man who is coming before God with these words and he acknowledges what he has done when he simply says, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly for my iniquity, Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. I have done what is evil in your sight. This is some prayer that David is praying broken. But what he's teaching us is this. There has to be an acknowledgement of what we have done. Uh, and, and David is just acknowledging what he's done as he comes before God broken because God never expects us to be perfect. It's why he sent his son Jesus Christ for us. But he comes and he's a broken man here. And, and he says, he doesn't say, blot out my mistake, blot out my weakness, my failure, blot out that that I slipped up. And I know there are times that there are room for those sort of things. He's coming with the seriousness of his sin to say, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. He says, I have transgressed and gone over the line simply of the commandments that God had given him. He was in the responsibility of being the leader of the nation. He should have been fighting the war and he wasn't fighting the war. And all these things lined up and said, all of this, he acknowledges what he has done. You see, David doesn't repent out of fear of punishment. He doesn't repent out of concern of future success. David simply repents because he's sinned against God. He's sinned against God. He comes, he's sorry. God, I've done all this. I've done all of these things. He says God could simply evict him from his presence. God could simply turn away and say, that's it. You're not the king anymore. You're not the shepherd boy that was out in the field who, who had the desire of my heart. And this is what God had called him. The, look at the, the plan and the path God had brought him along. But I think there was something in David's acknowledgement of what he had done. There's something God looks at and said, it's not that he's worried about punishment. It's not that he's worried about the future success. 
His concern is this. His heart is ripped and broken because he has sinned against God. He, he, he writes these words as he says this. He says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You know, hyssop is something that is used uh, throughout the, the Old Testament. It's a, it's a long plant you can see there. And so they would, they would cut it off and they would use it much like a paintbrush. So what would be used to go over the doors of the, the, the Passover? It was always recognized as something to do with cleansing of purification. But there's an interesting side point here that hyssop also appears at Jesus' crucifixion. When the Roman soldiers offered Jesus a drink of wine vinegar on a sponge on a stalk of hyssop. John tells us this after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to its mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This was, in fact, Jesus' last act before he declared his work on earth finished and he gave up his spirit. The hyssop might have carried some practical purposes. It was long enough to reach Jesus' mouth, but I always think there's a spiritual context, a spiritual reason. It's interesting the cross that this particular plant was chosen. It's possible that God meant it as a picture of purification as Jesus simply bought our forgiveness with his sacrifice. He didn't take some of our sin. He didn't take the little sins. He, he took all of our sins. And so here, this illustration meant that we see it as a picture of purification as Jesus bought our forgiveness with his sacrifice. In the Old Testament blurred and hyssop purified a defiled person. That's why David's asking for it to be used in this verse so Jesus' shed blood purifies us from the defilement of our sin. You see, we see a second thing here, and David, as he acknowledges it, he takes responsibility for it as well, because he's already touched my transgressions, my iniquity. He, 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 my sin, he says. He, he, he didn't say, you know, well... It's the woman's fault. She should have been taking a bath on the rooftop then. My eyes wouldn't have lingered so long. He had to take responsibility for what he had done. That was part of the journey of coming broken before God that he simply had to accept. It was nothing to do with anybody else. That It's not because I was provoked. It's not because I was enticed. It's not because all these other people did all their other stuff and that encouraged me. David simply said, it's my sin. It's my transgression. It's my iniquity. And I come before my God to ask for forgiveness for what I have done. That's the prayer that David is praying in this place. But what I love about it is it doesn't end there for David. It doesn't end there because David does something. He simply has the, the, the encouragement or the courage to come and ask God for help. He simply says this. This is where we relate to this morning. Because the journey of a Christian is never one that God finishes with us because of something that we've done. The journey of a Christian is this, is, hey, we will sin, we will transgress, we will make mistakes, we will fail, we will be weak, but God always provides a way back. 
And if he does it here in this situation with David, after everything David had done, then he does that for us this morning. So anybody that's sitting in here this morning with these feelings of guilt or these feelings of, God can't do anything in my life because of what I've done, God can. There is nobody that is so far away from God this morning. There is nobody this morning that has to carry any more guilt from what they walked in with this morning. They can go out guilt-free this morning because of what Christ has done on the cross. Not because of the sermon or the worship or anything else we've done this morning, but simply because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. And David prays his tremendous prayer when he acknowledges what he has done, but he also comes and he asks God for help because he simply says he's creating me a clean heart. It's why God sent the Holy Spirit for you and me, creating me a clean heart. The cry of David is not just for the pardon of God, but for the purity of God as well. That David does not want to go through this again. David does not want this happening again. He has sinned against God. He has transgressed against God, but he doesn't want to have to go through this again. So in his tears, as he's lying there in front of God and he's acknowledged his sin, he's simply coming now with a prayer to God, which is God creating me a clean hand. God, help me to make sure that this never happens again. God, help me by the clean heart that you're putting in me to make the right choices and the right decisions. Because there are too many people sometimes who are living the Christian life who make the mistake, ask God for forgiveness and make the mistake, and ask God for forgiveness and make the mistake. And God, listen, there has to be something more. It says, God created me a clean heart so I don't make the mistake. So I avoid the places and the people that I know that will encourage me to sin. Let's call it as it is. And sometimes we have to step away from there. Sometimes it means we may need to choose new friends. Sometimes it might mean rather than praying, God, give me the faith to overcome something, praying, God, give me the wisdom to avoid something. And you see, when we do those sort of things, it doesn't leave the responsibility up to God. It leaves it up to us to be wise. If you know you're going to sit in a place where people are going to do things and and you know those things are wrong, go and sit somewhere else. So, I mean, it is as if we say, well, it's not that simple. Well, Well, it is that simple. He says, why? Because you don't want to end up once again broken before God as David was. It was like David was saying, I never want to experience the pain of this again because in his brokenness there was pain. Because when he realises what he's done and who he's hurt and there is no way back for it, he cannot bring Uriah back from the dead. There was another consequence to his sin that we would take a whole other sermon to look up, but there were consequences to his actions. There were consequences to him being broken before God. And he needs to come and do this. And we see this. He, he says, that he, renew a right spirit within me. He's asking God to create, to renew. And then he's asking him to restore to me the joy of your salvation. It's like the prayer is to extremes. God, I've sinned and I've transgressed and here's my iniquity. But the good news is this, is God creating me a clean heart. God, renew a right spirit within me. God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. 
that there are two extremes, but that's the way the Christian life is. But we do make the choice about which camp that we want to live in. Do we want to live over here where we're constantly saying, God, I've sinned, I've transgressed, here's my iniquity once again. God, here's the guilt that I'm feeling once again. And God says some of us have got to take a journey over here to the renewal right spirit within me, to the restoration of the joy of salvation, to that clean heart being created in us. That's what God offers this morning to the people that are broken before him in guilt and burdens today. He says, we come this morning, and my time is, is nearly up. We come this morning and we see in David's brokenness, what God wants to see. Grace is a reward of repentance. There can be no grace without him. You know, often we talk about repentance like this, um, and I, I've taught this as well, and re repentance is we go one way, we stop and we go another way. But then I realised, I thought about it, it says, that doesn't actually mean we stop doing anything that we're not supposed to do, it just means we're walking a different way doing it. And I realised that actually repentance is, is not really that. Repentance is coming to the point where we, we go one way, we actually stop doing the things that we know we shouldn't do because it hurts us and it hurts God and it allows us to be broken before him. When we stop doing that and then we turn the other way and we go. And that, that to me is repentance. That to me is it's the stopping of the stuff that we need to do. The stopping of the stuff that is damaging you and me. The things that we all struggle with. We're not going to do this. One, it would be the best ending of a service ever. But if I went round every person in this room and said to them, what do you really struggle with? What's the real thing that's deep, dark in your mind? It would be an amazing way to finish a service. But it it would be a reality of where we were all at, that we are all struggling with something. And what you're struggling with is not what I'm struggling with. And what you're struggling with is not what I'm struggling with. But God is at work in all of us. He's at work in all of us. And we must make sure that when we come before him broken, we're not just coming with tears for the sake of tears, because they're what we call crocodile tears, and God recognises those. We come before God with tears of brokenness because God's desire is that he renews us and redeems us and restores us and creates in us a clean heart. That's the real Christian life. That's the real one. We can have no Christian life without that point of repentance, about that, without that point of brokenness of coming before God to say, God, I'm sorry. God, I've transgressed. And isn't it wonderful this morning, and if I was going to talk about anything in the last few minutes, it would simply be the grace of God that is poured out upon you and me. But we sung it this morning. It's the only reason we can sing together in church, that the grace of God has touched each and every one of your lives. There are no lines in the song that we can stand with our hands in the air with a line in any of the worship songs, God, I don't need your help this week. I did okay by myself. Nobody's written that song yet. And nobody will write that song. The songs that we come with are songs of brokenness because of who God is and what God has done. And so we come this morning knowing this, that if you've with that burden of guilt, and, and, and Rebecca, you've touched on it, in because of what God has done, because of what God has done, because of his great mercy, Ephesians tells us, 
And because of what God has done, we come this morning, yeah, we may be broken, we may be full of guilt, but we don't have to be. We can come at the end of the service, and, and if you take the time, even outside of church, to read Psalm 51, but even now this morning as we're coming to finish our service, let's just take a moment just to bow our heads and pray, just as the team come and join me on the platform. Father God, we have no other words to say this morning other than when we read this psalm we know that it teaches us that David acknowledges his sin but then Lord he asks you for help because Father God it's not your desire that we carry any burden of guilt it's not your desire that we carry any baggage of guilt with us today Lord it's why you sent your son Jesus on the cross and Father, we thank you this morning. There is no burden and no weight that anybody has in their life in this church that is too heavy for you to carry. And Father, we pray today for those people that are sitting there thinking, I can't give this, I can't get rid of this. God can take it off you right now. He can take it off you right now. In your brokenness, in your tears, in, in whatever it is that you are feeling, God can remove that burden. There is nothing this morning that stops you from knowing the forgiveness of God in your life. There is nothing this morning that can stop you knowing of the grace of God and the mercy of God in your life. And Father, as your spirit moves over the people and in the people's lives at the end of this service, God, would you just do something real in their hearts, Lord? God, would you confirm to them that you are removing the guilt? God, would you take it away today, Lord? We thank you for sending your son, Jesus. The theme of our service from the worship, the table. It's all about you. We cannot do anything with this other than give it to you. And Father God, for those that are in here who are thinking, I shouldn't have done what I did. You can't change the past. You can just give it over to God. For those people in here who are thinking, but this is, this is something that can't be forgiven. There is no sin that God can't forgive today. God, you have provided the way this morning. Father, help us to walk in that way to take on board everything that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.